Well, good morning. Um, want to welcome y'all again, and I especially want to welcome you if you are joining us on our live feed. Uh, so this morning is the first time that we've, uh, we've had a live feed, so people can join us. I know there are many uh, folks in our community who are still not comfortable yet coming back and worshiping with us in this space, and so uh, we're excited to at least be able to worship all together, um, even if you're not with us uh, here in this space. So welcome, and thank you so much for worshiping with us. Um, and then we're going to continue this morning in Daniel, uh, our series in Daniel. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back near you. If you want to grab that or open up uh, Daniel chapter 7 in your um, Bible app, that'd be great too. So thank you so much. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, so last week, <laughs> spoke too soon. Last week, um, <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> How about that one that's on the keyboard? Can you grab that one? Um, last week, I was out of town, and the bishop was here, and I'm so grateful he was here and uh, that he was able to share from, from Daniel chapter 6 uh, for us, but I was, thank you, Fred, um, and, well, oh yeah, well, let's try this one. There we go. All right. Thank you. Thank you, team. <clears throat> so last week, uh, I went camping and, uh, with my two boys, my 10-year-old son, David, and my six-year-old son, Bennett. And uh, it was great. It was one of the first times that we have gotten away, uh, really since COVID uh, hit. And so it was just really great. We went to the Ozarks, we went camping, um, and got to see some fall leaves, and it was cold, and it was raining the whole time, and it was awesome. We loved it. Um, and so uh, this is a picture. We, we did a bunch of caves and explored caves, and they just loved it. I mean, it was like the sweet spot for Father-Son Weekend. Um, and it was great because of that, but it was also great um, for me personally. And I realized this as we were driving. It was a seven-hour drive uh, to get up there for uh, a three- or four-day trip. And I realized that I, I needed this time because I needed this space. Uh, there's something for me that happens personally when I kind of get out Side and I get kind of into the wilderness, um, into the woods. And I love that, uh, that famous uh, Thoreau quote, I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. There's something within me that resonates with that, um, just to be able to get out. And, and, and I think it's more than refreshing. There's something about it that kind of helps me um, kind of recalibrate and reassess and kind of think about uh, my life, not just from my perspective, but from God's perspective. And so that was one of the great gifts of being away. And I've just been thinking about that because I think it's so important for all of us. Uh, maybe it's not the woods for you, maybe it's something else, but for all of us as followers of Jesus to have that space where we can kind of pull back and we can kind of uh, reassess and we can get God's perspective on the world and on our life. Um, and I think it's so important because um, as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to forget to live with God's perspective. It's easy to, to kind of slip into a place where we're not doing that because we, we kind of buy into the fact that this is, this is not just where we live now, but it's maybe all there is. It's easy to kind of slip into that way of thinking that, that this isn't um, you know, our temporary home, this is where we actually belong. When we know in the truth, because as we looked in Daniel, we realized that we are actually exiles here. This is not our ultimate home. Um, and so it's easy to settle into a path of least resistance, a path of comfort, to live as followers of Jesus who can become ineffective in our mission, 
uh, and I think compromise in our relationship with the Lord. And so we need to work at that. We need to carve out space for that to get that perspective. Um, and our propensity to forget that is something we have to work hard to fight against, to forget uh, our propensity to forget that we are actually exiles in this world. And so we've been going through our series, and we've called it Faith in Exile, going through the book of Daniel. And so uh, we're going to continue in that this morning um, because I think there is a word of encouragement for us in that, to give us God's perspective, uh, especially with all the things that are going on in our lives and in the world right now. We need God's perspective. And so if you want to open to Daniel chapter 7, um, we're going to look at uh, this chapter together. And as we do, just a a reminder that this really is a call for exiles Uh, That's us, to live by faith and not by sight. It's another way to say it, of having God's perspective. Um, Hebrews 11.1 says that uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, And so like the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, like Daniel, as we've seen, and his friends, uh, Paul and Peter in their prison cells, Jesus even on the cross, we are all called to be people who see the world through the eyes of faith. And so that's our call this morning as we look together at Daniel. And as we're turning there, I want to just highlight one big shift that's taking place as we're working our way through Daniel. So hopefully you've been reading through the book of Daniel yourself. If you haven't, it's not too late. Jump in, start reading, and immerse yourself in the book of Daniel, the 12 chapters. Um, But the first six chapters of Daniel... Uh, are what you'd say are historical narrative. They're stories. They're stories from the life of Daniel. They're stories uh, from the life of his friends. And so uh, they have a particular feel. And then chapter 7 through 12, there's a shift here that's taking place. And we move from kind of historical narrative to something called apocalyptic literature. Um, and now that may sound really intimidating, apocalyptic literature. But really, apocalyptic is, is just a word that comes from the Greek apocalypsis. An apocalypsis um, need not be a a scary word. It simply means revelation. Uh, That's what it literally translates as. It means revelation. Um, And so it's meant to tell us that something is being revealed to us through what God is telling us. It's something that we didn't know and we couldn't know apart from God actually revealing it to us. And so here in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, we're going to be shown things that are hidden, in other words, from our normal sight. That's what apocalyptic literature does. It gives us, in other words, God's perspective on spiritual realities, future realities um, that are revealed in symbolic ways. Um, And that's really important to understand because we're gonna be urged in light of those symbols and this revelation to live out our lives as followers of Jesus in light of these revealed realities. So let's look at Daniel chapter seven uh, together. Um, so we just heard from Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. And that first half of Daniel is, is the vision. Uh, Daniel 7 is the vision. It's the vision of, of what was revealed to, to Daniel in the night, we're told. And then the second half, when you get to verse 15 and through the end in 28, is the interpretation of that vision that happens in the first half. Uh, interestingly enough, the interpretation to the vision actually is a part of the vision, um, so the whole chapter is a vision, and Daniel uh, has, the, has the interpretation come as a part of the vision itself. 
Now, there's way, way more than we can cover here uh, in a single sermon on a single morning in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and so that's why I want to encourage you to be reading through Daniel yourself. And you can go to apostleshouston.org slash Daniel. And we've got resources there that you can look into uh, that can kind of help you dive deeper into this, which I strongly encourage you to do. Um, but this morning, I want to look at the vision. And I want to look at the three main characters of the vision. The beasts the Ancient of Days, uh, and the Son of Man. Those are the three main characters of this vision. And I think understanding these symbolic characters can actually help us understand the significance of the vision, not only for Daniel, but for us, and why it matters today. Like, why does this strange vision from Daniel um, from thousands of years ago matter in our lives? So we're gonna look at that together. So first, the beast. The beast. Um, so there's four beasts. Do you see that? There's four different beasts here listed in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and where do they come from? Anybody know where they come from? They come from the sea. Now that, that matters because in Hebrew culture, the sea actually symbolizes something itself. It symbolizes kind of chaos and disorder. So in other words, these beasts are emerging not from God himself, even though he permits it, uh, they're emerging from this place of chaos and disorder. And so what, what we're told is one is like a lion with the wings of an eagle. One is like a bear, um, and it's got ribs in its mouth, which means it's just killed something. Is what, it's just devoured something. So it's a very brutal image. Uh, the next one is, uh, is that there's a leopard, and it has four wings of its own. And then there's this terrible, terrible kind of horned beast um, that, that looks completely different than anything that's come before it that is, in fact, absolutely terrifying. Um, and so those are the beasts that we encounter here in Daniel chapter 7. Now, two quick cautions um, before we talk about what do these beasts mean? What do they represent? Um, two quick cautions about reading apocalyptic literature that I think are really helpful and really important, um, especially when you're looking at something like Daniel chapter 7 or maybe some of the chapters in the book of Revelation. Um, and here's what I would say, just as kind of two helpful guides. First, we want to be really careful that we don't take what I would say is kind of a dogmatic approach to uh, interpreting every single detail of a vision like this. So we don't want to try to read too much into it, in other words. We want to caution ourselves against saying, oh, this particular detail means this exact thing. And we know that for sure. We don't, we don't want to take that approach. We want to have more humility about it. Um, many well-meaning Christians um, have become fascinated, I would say, uh, unduly fascinated with the kind of endeavor of trying to parse every single detail of a vision like this. And I've experienced this in my own life. I was raised in a church that, tradition that did that. And I saw it distract people from the gospel and from the kingdom and from Jesus himself. And so we need to be careful that we don't kind of get led down that path. On the other hand, uh, we want to make sure that we don't just kind of step back and throw up our hands and say, well, this is a really weird vision. It doesn't really mean anything for us, right? Uh, we can't possibly know what this means because after all, it is apocalypse. It's, it's revelation, God has shared this with us so that we could understand things that were hidden and that we otherwise would not be able to know. So there is something that we can take and understand from this because God has revealed it. So with those two kind of thoughts in mind, what are these four beasts? What do these four beasts symbolize? Well, it becomes clear through the interpretation later in the chapter and through uh, kind of looking at history 
um, that what Daniel 7.17 says is indeed what these beasts represent. They are the four great beasts uh, who are four great kings that will rise from the earth. That's what Daniel 7 actually tells us. And so these beasts are meant to symbolize kings or world empires. Just uh, you know, think about uh, the United States. Uh, what animal would you uh, associate with the U.S.? An eagle, right? Yeah, so if I said China, panda bear, right? So these animals associated with nations, this is a concept we're familiar with, and that's exactly what's happening here. So Daniel's contemporaries, they would have heard these beasts being kind of introduced, and they would have, oh, that connects with this nation. That makes sense to me. Um, and, And so they associate with particular empires. Now, there's different interpretations about what empires these represent. Um, and we don't, again, I'm not going to dive into that because that's, that's a very complicated discussion. But what I would say is most, most people uh, who've studied this would say these beasts represent these four kind of empires or nations. The first beast represents Babylon, which we've been talking a lot about, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The second beast would represent Persia. The third, the Greek Empire, and then the fourth, um, the Roman Empire. So that's kind of the generally kind of broadly accepted understanding. However, there is uh, some people who believe that these actually represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, and the Greeks, that the Greeks is actually the culmination uh, of, of these empires. Now, I, I know this is getting into the weeds here, so just stick with me because this will pay off in the end, okay? So why are these different interpretations? Why, why do people think these empires are represented by different uh, nations or these beasts are represented by different empires? So again, we don't have time to go really into the depths of it, but in this chapter and in the subsequent chapter in Daniel chapter 8, um, what we find is there's a particularly evil king that's mentioned here in verse 8 and then explained and expounded on in verse 24 and 25 in chapter 7. And what we're told is this king will come and he will be way worse, way worse than any of those leaders who have come before. And he'll speak against God and he'll lead this terrible uh, persecution of God's people. So people look at that king and they say, oh, we that's a key. Who that king is can tell us kind of the lay of the land here. And many look at that king, and they say, okay, that king is this ancient Near Eastern king named Antiochus IV, okay? So Antiochus IV lived in the second century BC. He was an incredibly arrogant king. In fact, he wanted people to call him, instead of his name, he wanted them to call him illustrious God, right? So, you know, this guy's full of himself in spades, right? Call me illustrious God was his position in the world. And he forced Israel to worship Greek gods. It was a a program of Hellenization. And so forced them to uh, stop worshiping the one true God and worship these Greek gods. And it went so far as even to outlaw um, their worship and dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, God's temple, to the pagan god Zeus. So you can imagine how much turmoil and difficulty this caused. And so people rejected it, rebelled against it, the Jews did, and uh, over 100,000 of them were killed um, because of that. And so just brutal, brutal. And so clearly Antiochus IV is a good candidate for this king that we find here in Daniel chapter 7. And he came out of the Greek empire, which is what lines up with what you read in chapter 8. Okay. 
But this causes a problem when you go back to chapter 7, because we're told in chapter 7 that after that particular king dies, the kingdom of God will come in all its fullness, uh, and it will be the end of time. Okay? So, now, so, so basically you got, well, if it's Antiochus and he's dead and the end of the world hasn't come, then you got, you got a dissonance there. Something's not connecting. And so what is going on? So it's at this point, I think, that it's something really important we have to understand and think about when we read chapters like Daniel 7. Um, that Daniel 7 and uh, all the way through chapter 12 actually has to be read at different levels. Okay, it has to be read at different levels. I'm going to kind of explain what that means. But it means that there's a way to read it that is in the moment it's written and following. There's a way that we read it that has to do with our present moment. And then there's a way we can read it that has to do with the future. Does that make sense? Like different levels? Okay. So there's different levels and the way that we read it has to account for that. So for example, the king described in Daniel chapter 7 that could be Antiochus, also lines up with someone the New Testament talks about called the man of lawlessness in 1 Thessalonians, or you may know him better by uh, the name the Antichrist. So this horrible, horrible king, the New Testament talks about him as the Antichrist. In fact, it's really interesting in 1 John 2.18, John says that the Antichrist is coming. So he's talking about he's coming in the future. But then the next thing he says is, even so, many antichrists have come. Many antichrists have come. So in other words, there's many antichrists, right? Many antichrists down through history, but there's only one capital A antichrist that he's also talking about. And, and so Antiochus, you could say, is one of these lowercase antichrists that's been through history. And there have been others since him, and there are some at work even in the world today, I would say. This is, this is taking place. Leaders who are particularly hostile to God and to the people of God. And so the Antichrists exist, but the Antichrist, capital A, will come. Okay? And so that's why when we read Daniel 7, we have to read it at kind of multiple levels, because it's the past, it's the present, and it's the future. It's speaking into all that. And so as for these four kingdoms, these four beasts, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Rome, is that, is that who these beasts represent? The answer is yes. Um, are these kingdoms other kingdoms that have appeared later and will appear even after today? Yes, they're both. They're both. Um, is Antiochus the Antichrist? Yes. But will there be others and will an Antichrist come? Yes. So does, that, does all that make sense? Okay, you guys are doing awesome. You're trying, but I wanted us to work through that. I know that's, that was kind of intense, um, but I think it's really important. Uh, and so maybe you're asking, but why? <laughs> why is all that important? Um, so here's why I think this matters. This is why this matters. One reason it matters is because Daniel 7 is giving us a picture, God's picture, God's perspective on history. That's what this chapter is doing. It's giving us God's perspective on history. And these beasts, these kings and these kingdoms can be seen as being present at any point in history. At any point in history, this is what's taking place, which means this vision isn't just about a bunch of ancient history that has nothing to do with us. It's about what's happening today, and it's about what's going to happen in our future. And so we need to understand what God is telling us here. In fact, 
in the book of Revelation, we're given a very similar vision to what we find here in Daniel chapter 7 about the future of humanity. In fact, the book of Revelation is a powerfully connected book in terms of its relationship to the book of Daniel. And it represents what it's revealing to us, especially in Revelation 13, where one of these allusions to Daniel and Revelation kind of come together. It's telling us that there will be a great beast who comes from the sea, just like in Daniel chapter 7. And it tells us this great beast will come. It will have ten horns. And what does it represent? It represents all governments. It's the ultimate expression of everything that's happened through human history with these beasts and these kingdoms. And it will be more horrific than any kingdom that's come before, more terrible than any king that has reigned before. It will be terrible. And that is when the Antichrist will come. That's what Revelation 13 tells us. And so as God's people, we have to understand that. It's very important that we understand that perspective on history, that there are terrible times, in other words, ahead for humanity and for the people of God in particular. And and I think, I wanted to stress that and spend so much time on that because I really think one of the things that's been um, happening in COVID is that it's been really disorienting for many in the church you know, what's been taking place with COVID and, and politics and all of it. It's just really disorienting. And I think one of the reasons it's been so disorienting is because we, as followers of Jesus, we've had a false vision of the future, okay? Because the way we live now has everything to do with what, what we think is going to happen and is happening when it comes to how God is playing out history, And so I think we have forgotten or we didn't know or we've denied what the Bible clearly teaches that in a fallen world before the end comes, there will be a time of great evil and there will be a time of great suffering. That's how the Bible talks about the future for us, for this planet, for humanity. And and so I think we have to come to terms with that, Um, specifically for at least two reasons. One would be it discourages us from trusting in earthly kingdoms. It discourages us from putting our trust in earthly kingdoms because we know where that goes. And then the second is it encourages us, uh, it encourages us that even when things are bad, even when they're threatening to become worse, it should not shake our faith, right? It should not shake our faith. First Peter 4 says, beloved, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is taking place. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings and that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In other words, we should be able to say like Peter there and like Daniel, like so many people of God who have gone before us, that we know, we know difficult days are going to come and they don't catch us off guard, right? We know difficult days will come, and in that moment, we are prepared so we can stand in faith and not walk in fear. That's why this is so important. And so that's the beasts. That's that's the first character here. The second one uh, in this story is the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days. Um, 
So we know terrible times are ahead, but we're not discouraged. And one of the reasons we're not discouraged is that we look up. Like Daniel, we look up. And what do we see when we look up? We look up and we see the Ancient of Days seated on his throne. That's what Daniel sees here. Because what's interesting is you see the evil of the beast and bam, right next to it, immediately. What is, what is before us? The glory of God. So the worst of evil in the world and then the glory of God. And that's not a coincidence because the danger is for those who live in exile, we, we kind of look only at the beasts. We fixate on the beast and we need to lift our head and we need to look up. We need to look to God and the God who sits on the throne. And so this is what Daniel does. This is what he says. He says, as I looked, thrones were being placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames and wheels were burning fire. A river of fire issued and came out from before him and thousands and thousands have served him. Ten thousands and ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. This is the throne room of God that he's getting a glimpse into. This is, this is the ancient of days. This is God. Now, we're used to thinking of God as the Father, aren't we? We, we, we tend to think of that. And that's how Jesus taught us to think of God. Uh, that's how Jesus loved to address God. But he's also the ancient of days. And, and I raise that because Father is this kind of intimate term that we can connect with, and that's good. But ancient of days, we need to connect with that one too. We need to understand God as the ancient of days, the one who's beyond time and space, the one who's always been and always will be, the one who's seated on the throne, surrounded by thousands and thousands, ten thousands of ten thousand, being worshipped, the one who is white as snow, revealing his perfect goodness and his purity and the fire that comes from his throne, judgment and all its perfection and its passion and its love. That is the God we worship too. He's our father and he's the ancient of days. And so in that moment, in the vision that Daniel has, those beasts, it's like in the, in the, in the story, in the vision, they disappear. They just kind of, they kind of get pushed off his vision. All he can see is the, the ancient of days on the throne. And in that moment, we're told that the beasts are dispatched with. They are killed. They are wiped out like that. It's a non-event in Daniel's vision. And so what we have here is we have this incredible picture of the throne room of God, and the intent is that it would be all captivating, all consuming, so that as hard as life is, no matter how powerful empires and nations and kings and presidents may be, they are nothing, nothing compared to God. They are nothing compared to God. They will pass away, and they will continue to pass away, consumed by the incomparable power and purity of a holy, loving God. It's the Ancient of Days on his throne. That's who we worship. And so, I, you know, it begs the question, what's left of the Babylonian Empire? The great Babylonian Empire, what's left of it? What's left of the Roman Empire, of the Third Reich that would never end, right? It's gone. And, and I'll just say this, just so that we have some perspective. One day, I really think one day, it's very, 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 very likely that the United States of America will be known as one more former nation or kingdom on this earth that will be relegated to history. And if, even if that doesn't happen before Jesus comes back, it will fade away in the presence of the Ancient of Days. Everything will fade away in the presence of a holy and loving God. 
And so this is who we worship, the God who reigns forever, the God who reigns over all and his glory never fades. And so, again, just as an encouragement in this moment, I I think we as followers of Jesus uh, in some ways are struggling in different ways in this moment that we're in. We feel overwhelmed or distraught or feel fearful about the state of our nation in, in anticipation of this election that's coming up, and we ought not be. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be overwhelmed or distraught about what's gonna happen over the next week or next coming weeks or next month or next years. What we need to do is we need to look up and we need to remember that we worship the Ancient of Days. We worship God alone. Church, we need to look up to his throne. We need to recover, I would say, the transcendence of our God. We're so, I think we're so good at emphasizing the eminence of God, his, his accessibility, that he cares for us in personal and intimate details of our lives, that he loves us, that he's come to rescue us. And that's, that praise God, that is true. Praise God, that's true. But he's also transcendent. He's, he's the God who holds the scale of time in his hands, dominion over reality. He's beyond our imagination. He's beyond our comprehension. He's powerful and righteous over all. And one day he will destroy all evil and establish his kingdom forever. He is the ancient of days who sits on the throne. That is our God. That is our God. And so we worship him and we praise him and we see him just as Daniel did. That's why we need to look up. And so we look up and we see that he is the seat of power, not Washington, not Moscow, not Beijing. The throne of God in heaven is the seat of power in this world. And so we worship him. So we got the beast, we got the ancient of days, and then finally we have the son of man. So Daniel says he saw something else um, as he saw this vision. Verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Has, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom uh, is one that shall not be destroyed. So who is this? Who is this son of man who comes with the clouds of heaven, symbolizing God's divine presence? Who is this who comes like a son of man, who's both divine, in other words, and human? Who who is this? He's Jesus. It's Jesus right here in Daniel 7. Jesus is here with God, with the ancient of days, and he is our Lord. He's our one true king, and he has given God's authority to reign. You know, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, we get a picture of what the world was supposed to be like, the way that God created the world, a world in which he reigns over it and he creates by his word and he he places human beings in that world. He places them in that world under his authority as his ruling agents. That's, That's the relationship we had with him in creation. But human beings rejected God's authority in favor of their own and in turn, they made a huge mess of the world. And we become more and more uh, like beasts. That's the story of humanity. We become less and less like image bearers of our creator and more and more like beasts. And so God looks out of this and he offers hope. He says, I'm gonna restore my creation. I'm gonna restore this kingdom. And he looks out and he says, I'm gonna restore and redeem those who I created to rule under me and with me. And we need that. 
We can't fix this ourselves, what's taking place. And so he calls Jesus, the son of man, to, to enter in as the godly ruler that we need in the world. One who will exercise God's authority under God's authority. Someone who is human and divine. And we need someone like this, this vision in Daniel 7. We need the son of man. We need Jesus. Jesus called himself this. Did you hear that in Matthew 16? He called himself the son of man in the gospels. And he took up this title from Daniel and from the Old Testament in part because people had all kinds of misconceptions about who he was. And you get that as you read through the gospels. And Jesus wanted to make it very clear who he was. And so he even asked that question in Matthew 16. He says, who do people say that the son of man is? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms that. But then immediately, right after that, we're told that Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected and ultimately be glorified. The son of man must suffer and die, is what we're told. That's what Jesus says. He says he's, he's the one who's come to do what? To take on our humanity, to take on our, our, our sin, our place, to suffer the consequences of what we have done in rebellion to God, our choice to live under our own rule, independently of God. And he's done it by giving his life on the cross. And so through faith in Jesus, we're freed from this terrible, terrible tyranny of sin, freed from Satan, freed from life as beasts, freed from death. And so the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be glorified. And he did. That's what Jesus did. And he was raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of who? The Ancient of Days. That's where he sits. And one day he's gonna return and he's gonna destroy all that destroys and he's gonna establish his kingdom forever and he will live uh, with us and there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more evil in the world. It will all be gone and life will be as it was meant to be lived with God. That's what's gonna happen when the son of man returns. That's our future. That's the hope that we have. But Daniel 7 It tells us that's our hope, but between now and then, we will suffer, and we have to hold both of those things together. We will face opposition. There's going to be terrible days, but that is not how the story ends. That is not how the story ends. One day, the beastly kingdoms and the kings of the world will be destroyed, and everything will be as it should be. So... I'm gonna ask Craig if he'll go ahead and come up and I'm just gonna ask him to lead us in a time of prayer as we kind of end um, and specifically for us to pray into what's ahead for the week. Um, a lot of what we've talked about this morning talks about the realities of living in exile. Um, we live in exile, and, but we are those who know how history ends and so we wanna pray this morning. We wanna be a people who come before the throne of the Ancient of Days and pray. We want to pray for our nation. We want to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And we want to pray um, as those who prepare to suffer and can suffer because our eyes are fixed. Our eyes are fixed on the one who sits on the throne. And so we want to enter into that in prayer. Um, And so, Craig, would you come and just lead us this morning as we pray together? Thanks, man.